Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of That Sounds Fun. I'm your host, Annie F. Downs. So happy to be here with you today. Music in the background is from our good friend, Mr. John McLaughlin. Make sure you grab a copy of his most recent album, Angst and Grace. Just a quick reminder, as I told you on Monday, today is the last show for a week. We're going to be taking next week off of the podcast to observe Holy Week in our faith tradition. It's a really important week that leads up to Good Friday and Easter, and it just felt right to take a break. Last year, I remember thinking, man, I wish that I wish that we were using our time differently this week, and so we are going to do that. I would encourage you to take your 45 minutes an hour that you'd normally spend with me next Monday and Thursday and use it reading Charles's book, What If It's True, reading in the Bible about what happened next week during Holy Week, and learning about Easter, learning about Good Friday, just kind of spending some time. Take these two little blocks of time that you would normally spend with me and one of my friends and spend it with the Lord. Kind of sit in it. No matter what you believe, no matter where you are, use this time. Use this time. And so I really encourage you to do that next week, and I will do the same. Also, just want to make sure you knew there is a new copy of 100 Days to Brave at your local Target store. It's just at Target. It's pink. It's beautiful. You're going to love it. It's great for Easter baskets. It's great for Mother's Day, graduation, whatever you got coming up. So I want to make sure you know about that. Okay, listen, let's talk about the guest on the show today. A friend of mine at an event a few months ago walked up and handed me a novel called Long Way Gone and literally just said, I felt like I was supposed to give this to you. And I was like, okay, thank you. And I brought it home with me to Nashville and I didn't read it for a little bit. And then I finally picked it up. And once I picked it up, I devoured it. It was incredible. And it was by this author named Charles Martin. And so I just Instagrammed how much I enjoyed the book, not realizing that we share friends, not realizing that his agent is a friend of mine, not realizing that we would be able to connect with him. And so then the dream just became could I get to chat with Charles Martin next time he's in Nashville? He has a son, as you'll hear in the show. He has a son who goes to college here. And y'all, this conversation was just better than I could have ever dreamed. So Charles has written many novels. Some of them have been turned into movies already. Some will be turned into movies, as you'll hear. And now he has written his first nonfiction book, but it reads so beautifully like a novel called What If It's True? A Storyteller's Journey with Jesus. And I think, listen, if you want a companion for next week, as you're walking towards Easter, order it. Like, pause the show, go order What If It's True, and then come back and listen to Charles and I talk about it. Okay, do that. And ever since I posted about reading his novels, so many of y'all have said, please get Charles Martin on the podcast, please, please. And so, my friends, I offer you a podcast that you have long requested and I have long hoped for. Here is my conversation with author Charles Martin. And it's Charles, right? You don't have like yeah. a secret other thing. No. That, no. Uh-uh. But when People you're... ask me that all the time. They're like, do they? Are, 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 do you have like a pen name? And I'm like, no, I, I haven't messed this one up yet. I'm going <laughs> to just, Charles is good. Just Charles Martin forever yeah. and for always. Uh, I'm so happy you're here today. This is you. so kind of you. Why are you in Nashville this week? Well, I'm finishing up a book tour for What oh, If It's it. True. Yeah. And I was here in the Barnes & Noble last night. And then you asked me. Got it. So that's the real reason. Yes. And I'm serious. I mean, that was... Oh. Thank you. It was fun. I was excited about this. That's really kind. People are freaking out on my social media that you're here today. Mm. Like it has been really fun to see 
how a fictional, you're, I think you're our first, I'm going to get corrected by someone, but I think you're our first novelist we've had on the show in 170 episodes. Oh, I love that. Yeah. That's awesome. Really? Yeah. Because I just don't run in this pack yet. <laughs> and so I can tell you all about nonfiction it's a, authors. It's but. a sort of disjointed pack. Yeah. Why is that? It doesn't feel like fiction authors are as public as nonfiction authors are. Is that true? I don't know, because I'm just barely sort of dipping my toe in the water in this nonfiction thing. But you will find fiction authors like Patty Callahan Henry is a great example. Uh-huh. She is she's like you. She's super at social media. She's really good at sort of traveling the circles. Everybody loves her. I love her. She's far more public than I because I'm comfortable. It's not that I'm uncomfortable. I just right. I'm good behind a computer eight hours a day. Yeah. And so and and most writers are. I mean, that's right. And books don't write themselves. Mm-hmm. I wake up every day this morning. I'm in my hotel room. I open my computer. There's a blank page. Every day. And I love that. So, You write every single day? Nah, no, I can't say I write every single day because sometimes my well gets you know, empty or mm-hmm. drawn or something. I was listening one, one time to an interview with Willie Nelson. He'd put out like five albums, five records in like 18 months. Yeah. And the interview asked, interviewer asked him, he said, what are you going to do now? And he said, well, I'm going to let my well refill. Mm-hmm. And I understand that. So yeah. there, there are cycles in my year where I'll write four to six, seven months, and then I'll take a, a month off and I won't write a thing. And mm-hmm. some of my friends that are writers think I'm nuts, but I mean, if I don't have something to say, I've done the thing where you sit there and try to pound the words out and it's not help, helpful. Yeah. I'm better to go do something and let my fingers rest. Are you always working on a book when you're writing? Probably. And I'm, and I'm not, I don't necessarily have to be writing to be working on a book. I mean, I, I'm i thinking about a story probably not. And you can ask Christy this. She'll Your wife. She, yeah, yeah. She'll attest. There are times when she'll look at me and I sort of have this glossed over <laughs> thing. And she's like, well, he's working. And yes. it's no good talking yes. to him right now. And But I just have, it's tough to... It's tough to check in and out of a story. Mm-hmm. You know, I just read descriptions of uh, Bradley Cooper and A Star is Born, and I think it's phenomenal, but he talks about his process. Mm-hmm. And even when he was directing, he stayed in character. He would talk to the other actors. Oh, my gosh. As I think his, uh, the character's name was Jackson. Mm-hmm. And that's because it was too tough to check out. And I, that's true with books. Yeah. I have to warn people when I'm in like high writing time, mm-hmm. my like closest uh, circle knows like, she's going to be weird for a little bit. <laughs> we just need to give her like like the staring off into space stuff where I had sat with a paragraph for an hour that morning and never got it. And I don't, I can't walk away from it yeah, mentally. Yeah. Uh, my kids, we have three boys, 21, 19, and 16. And they've grown up with this. So they, they get it. But sometimes I feel like, you know, I need to be more present. It's just, it's the tension of this whole thing. Mm-hmm. I love it. I'm grateful for it. I wouldn't change it. But there is a tension in terms of it's tough to turn it off. Yes. How did you start doing this? I'm did you for, always want to write novels? No, I'm, I'm 49. I started really writing stories when I was 15. Okay. And I um, football was my thing. I wanted to play college football. Um, Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Jacksonville. You're Southern. Florida. Yeah. yeah. Um, but about age 15, I was dealing with girls. Do they like me? Uh, grades. Can I make grades good enough to go to college? F- athletics. Can I play football? And then hormones. And I didn't know what to do with that soup. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have the tools. It wasn't like I could sit down and like have this, con- like this right. is what I'm feeling. Right. I had, that did not even nowhere right. close to my cranium. So for reasons I still can't explain, I sat down one night and wrote a story. And the writing of the story sort of vented the thing I was feeling. Oh, wow. 
And I thought, I was like taking a deep breath. Yeah. And I did it the next day and I did it through high school and I did it through college. And then when I was about 27, I finally sat down and wrote what became The Dead Don't Dance, my first mm-hmm, novel. Mm-hmm. And that was, now I'm working on number 14. Oh my gosh. And all this is the thing that amazes me. There are some authors about you, that amazes me about you. There are some authors who can write 14 books, but they're all chasing one family line or they're mm-hmm. all one story. You're writing... None of your novels touch each other, right? Well, that I've read. The only two that are somewhat connected are The Dead Don't Dance and Maggie. That's number okay. one and number four. Okay. And they're just the same characters. They're independent. You can okay. you don't have to read one to read the other. But you're right. I have pretty much created fourteen different worlds. Yes. And I think to myself sometimes, dude, why don't you just find a character like, <laughs> you know, Mitch Rapp and stick with him? Stick you know? with him, yeah. Um so okay which reminds me i did have one other novelist the whole show started because of ted decker oh yeah he was my very first show and or my first two shows well he's pretty much a genius though he's he's got like eight stories going at once i don't know him all that well but i do know when i've been around him i'm thinking there's a whole lot going on in that joker's brain so that's what i think you're actually not telling me is i wonder if you're like ted decker that all your stories secretly tie together and we're not going to know for another 50 books in my head they do in my head it's like one big giant story i mean you you see 14 books on a shelf with different covers and titles and me i i see one giant story wait how they just know each other? All the characters know each other? <laughs> yeah. And about three o'clock in the morning when I get up to go to the bathroom, I bump into most of them. Uh-huh, yeah. You know? I believe it. <laughs> I believe it. I don't know. They're segmented to some extent, but it's just like, like one big, long, giant story. Yeah. Okay. That's it. That makes that makes me even more excited to keep reading that how I can imagine them tying together. Mm. I started with Long Way Gone. Yeah. I don't know that I put this online when I posted it, but literally someone at an event where I was speaking walked up and said, I think you need this book and Mm. handed me Long Way Gone. Love that person. Charles Martin. I was like, wait, I think that's the Lake Burton book guy. Yeah. And I was like, okay. And I took it home and I put it on a shelf. (laughs) The Lake Burton book guy. Yeah. (laughs) Only, yes, we'll get there. And then I read it and I'm, I mean, if I don't cry eight times in this interview, I'm going to be so proud of myself. That book is just incredible. And it like is really connected because it's Nashville and it's a, yeah. is it about one of your kids or is it? It's not it- entirely about one of my kids. It's really, it really started with me in the middle of Luke 15 and I'm reading the story on the prodigal. And, and so that, that led me from sort of reading that to thinking about my relationship with my boys and then a conversation with the Lord where I'm like, you know, kind of how am I doing? Mm-hmm. And it, it started me down this, I don't know, path or whatever, just wrestling with to what extent the Father has gone to love us. Mm-hmm. Like, like how much? And so that played itself out in a novel that became Long Way Gone. Now, to really help me, our middle son, John T., is a musician. Mm-hmm. And I'm plugging him, but you can yeah, find Yeah, come on. Stuff. Yes, we'll, can, t- we'll link right to it. That's <laughs> what Jenna his, does. You can yep. find his stuff on iTunes. And he just put up three songs the other night. But oh, he's... Um, He's um I don't want to say the word prodigy because that can sort of be a negative late, but he's really good musically. Mm-hmm. He's here in Nashville at Belmont yeah. in the songwriting school. Goes to Cross Point. Yeah, he goes here. Local dude, yeah. And um he helped me understand the theory part of music that I I, I mean I I can strum a guitar, but that's mm-hmm. it. I'm so t- mm-hmm. you don't want to hear me sing and you really John Teal tell you you don't really want to hear me play either. <laughs> but he helped me understand like looking at the neck of the guitar how that corresponds to a piano. Mm. And then he helped me understand music and chords and 
just notes and keys and um, it was a beautiful thing for the two of us. And then I got into sort of researching guitars and Martin and then I went up to McPherson and went through the plant and met Matt McPherson and it was a phenomenal thing to sort of experience. But then they add the whole Colorado piece. We mm-hmm. love Colorado. Mm-hmm. Spent a bunch of time there. And for me, this story sort of birthed itself in the mountains of Colorado. And I just saw this kid thumbing his nose at his dad and pretty much stealing the most precious thing that he had and running off. And then you realize he can't come home and he can't communicate with his dad. And then you realize what his dad had put in place long ago. Right. And that just, you know, folks ask me like, do you cry? Have you ever cried when you wrote it? And I, um, I cried like a baby when I wrote this one. Yeah. I mean, I did it. It's tender to me because I wrote it and I love it. Uh, we also just finished signing the contract to make it a movie. <gasps> yes. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. That's amazing. When these will are, that be? Ne- uh, years. Well, these, I mean, they're in Hollywood. Yeah. Um, they're meeting with a screenwriter tomorrow. He's, oh, my and he's, gosh. Like, we know his movies and they're, they're good. Um, these are awesome people. Like I'm excited. And the, yeah. the process you already of the, have one that's a movie, right? The Mountain Between Us became yep. a movie. It was a movie last year with Kate Winslet and Idris Elba. I love You're the just process. best friends with them now. No, I, Those they, are just your they wouldn't people. look if I was if they were standing right there, they wouldn't know me. But I did get to like Kate hugged me. So right, well, there you according go. to my boys, I'm cool. That, Actually, though, I'm much more cool, cool with them because Idris Elba was like the keeper of the universe in uh-huh. the Thor movies uh-huh. and all that. So they that's thought exactly right. that I was much cooler yes. than that. But I like these people a lot and uh I think the process will be fun. Was there a point where you dreamed of your books becoming movies? Or is it just kind of yeah, I mean, I, I I think so, but about, I don't know, I'm 22 years into a writing career, so maybe 18 or so years ago, I think I got bold enough to actually start praying, hey, Lord, would you put my stories on the big screen? Mm. And I've prayed it a thousand, Christy and I and the boys have prayed it a thousand times. Yeah. Just because I love the, transi- the translation of that. And I thought, man, if, if we could somehow take this and somehow put it up there, how cool would it be for us to sit in a theater and watch all of you watch the movie based on my book. Yeah. And I just, we went to, Christy and I, we got to go to Toronto to the film festival and watch the opening of The Mountain Between Us. And it was a surreal thing yeah, to I was sit say, in what a theater like? with 3,000 people and then all the actors and everybody right here. And this is crazy. And you're like, that all came from my brain. Yeah, somewhere between my brain and my heart. But it was, yeah. it was just surreal. Have you seen um, Saving Mr. Banks? No. At the end, you should, I'd be okay. interested to, we'll circle back around in real life or just as friends after you watch it. I mean, like in real life as friends or on the podcast, but the woman who, P.L. Travers, I think, who wrote um, Mary Poppins. Okay. It's the story of Mary Poppins going from book to movie. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And so at the very end, she sits in the theater and watches it for the first time. Mm. And so I was, that's why I asked you is I wondered if you can, if that was what it felt like for you, but. You'll have to watch and tell me. You'll have to keep me updated. Um, so this went so long way gone becomes a movie now. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. can't wait. I mean, I'm, I'm excited. I really am. I'm going to push that an embarrassing amount. I just need you to know ahead that. of time, I, I have suddenly become the president of your fan club, and it's going to get weird for you. Great with me. And I'm really it. sorry. Well, but I, I love it. It's a tender story. The thing about it is that here's the book in a nutshell, if you haven't read it. There is no place on blood on planet Earth where the blood of Jesus can't snatch you back. Mm-hmm. No gone is too far gone. There's no there's no messed up that's too dirty. There's no prison cell too deep. I've I've spent some time ministering in prisons and I've taken this book with me and given it to a lot of folks and they yeah. come up just with this shattered look on their face. I can't tell you the number of 
really women who walk up and hand me my book and say, is this really true for me? Uh-uh. And uh, so I would love to see it made into a cool movie and yeah. then be able to somehow get in prison and watch the, I'd love that. Yeah. Okay. We'll just ask the Lord for that with you. All right. That's a good thing. We cool. can all pray. All right. Uh, how long ago did Long Way Gone come out? I don't know. Two. Is it one of your more years. recent one though? Yeah. I think it's number 12. Because oh Send Down the Rain was 13 and I'm working on 14. Okay. My gosh. Okay. Can we also talk about when crickets cry? Sure. Because that's my number two favorite All right. uh, so far. Uh-huh. I mean, I'm still rolling. You got to know. I'm like president of the fan club, but I'm still pretty fresh in, which is real <laughs> exciting for me in a summer of re- when I love to read books. Now, the Downs family is very connected with Lake Burton. Yeah. And when Crickets Cry is all about Rabin. Like, I mean, I've been to the hospital in Rabin County. So I like picture the <laughs> all, whole thing. All, all three rooms of it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. What's your connection with the North Georgia Mountains? All right, my first year in college, I um, went to Georgia Tech and walked on, played okay. football. Oh, my gosh. Do we have to talk about that? I went to Georgia? No, no I'm a huge dog fan. Okay, because great. Because I, I ended up cracking a vertebrae and breaking my back oh, Lord. and walked off and okay. never played again. Okay. But when I got hurt, some dear friends of my family picked me up at the dorm one night, moved me into their house kind of to rehab me, and I finished out the school, school year in their home. They became like second family. They have a house on Lake Burton. Okay. And so I, for the last 25 years, have spent part of my summer, either with Christy or the boys or whatever, on Burton. Yeah. And it just became this huge, beautiful home away from home. And I love it. So when I was, you know, like your first book is probably somewhat autobiographical to some extent because it's all you know. Maybe your second book pulls in that a little bit. But by the time you get to your third or fourth book, book, you're kind of you're drawn out of a rabbit's hat that's a little bit empty from your own experience. So I was like, well, let me go find another world. Mm-hmm. And that was Burton. Yeah. And um, and then I was walking through Clayton one day, going to Reeves Hardware. Yes. Daydreaming as I do. And I looked at the corner of the street right out in front, and there's a cricket box where they actually do sell crickets. Yep. And in my mind's eye, I just saw this little girl with a yellow dress and a hat and a ribbon trailing down behind her. And she was screaming lemonade at the top of her lungs, and I saw a, uh, a scar on her chest and a, um, a, a nitroglycerin-like pill bottle, and that was the beginning of crickets. And you just knew, like, as soon as you saw that picture, you thought, I wonder what her story is. Well, yeah, well, I wanted to know, like, what's she doing there? Why is she selling lemonade? Yeah. Well, obviously, it's to pay for her own transplant. And, oh, my gosh. You knew that right away in your head. Well, yeah, because the scar, and I mean, uh, you know, I mean, I'm... Ex- I'm like y'all read my books to figure out what happens. I'm writing them to figure out what yep. happens. So yeah. it's, I get that. You know, so heart transplants and heart surgery is a huge part of when crickets cry. Yeah. How much research do you a have bunch. to? Do? Yeah, it would have it, to be. And I've had people email me medical questions about the heart. They, I mean, I fooled them <laughs> somehow or another. Oh my gosh! I thought he is a secret <laughs> no, doctor. No, I had great help. I had a friend in Jacksonville who's a primary care lead me to just a bunch of really helpful doctors. I had I spent time in the OR and the radiology, interventional radiology. You know where they run the line up your groin yeah, and kind yeah. of into your heart and. I just ha- I stood in the OR during open heart surgery and watched them stop a man's heart, operate on it, start it. I mean, it's crazy. It's amazing what you can do to the human body. So, I just and when ha- you're doing I- that, are you taking notes or are you just memorizing it in your head? Well, in the OR, I wasn't because they, you know, they won't. I just had to oh, stand there. Oh, you're like there. in your in I'm gear. Scrubbed, yeah. And, but I'm making mental pictures. Yeah, yeah. that's unbelievable. So, I don't know that this is possible, but I'm so curious about it. 
when the process of writing a novel, I've never written a novel, not yet. And the process of writing it, how much of that process is research and how much is actually sitting your butt in a chair and writing it? That's a great question. I Thank don't you. know. It's maybe, it varies between 50-50 to 60-40 mm-hmm. being the greater portion being writing. But it's like if I can't, like the book I'm working on right now takes place from the northeastern part of Florida, up around southeast Georgia, Jekyll Island, yeah, et cetera. Yeah, come on, yeah. Down the intercoastal waterway, okay. all the way to the Keys, oh, wow. and then due west to the Dry Tortugas. Oh, so gosh. I took my boat, to trailered it to Miami, put it in the water at Biscayne Bay, headed southeast out of there along the inside of Key Largo, tied up and spent the night at a hotel in Key Largo, and then over the next couple of days came north up the intercoastal because I got to see what it looks like. Yeah. And ended back up in Jacksonville. Yeah. And then Christy and I flew to Key West and spent time in Key West and then took a a hopper plane to the Dry Tortugas. So I can see, like in my mind's eye, I can see that whole thing. So folks, I mean, you know, Christy says, honey, I think your next book needs to be written in Hawaii. Yeah. <laughs> but I, it's, you know, what's vacation? What's research? Yeah. I don't know. I just yeah. know I, I have to see it. Yes. So how, how do you figure that time in? I yeah. don't ha- I don't know. Yeah. So then, because I'm thinking about, and when crickets cry, that first scene when she's standing there. I mean, I, a because I stand on that corner since I was four years old. I mean, yeah. my whole life. I watched the 1996 Olympic parade go through. Yeah. Clayton, so I could see the exact corner. But I also thought this man has to know this town to write it like this. Well, one of my other loves is uh, cycling. I like when I got hurt in football. I got on a bike and ended up doing some racing to a limited extent but i still love that and it's a great way to see an area so i've ridden a lot of that county on a bicycle yeah and it's a great way to see a place to get details yeah yeah i loved i think even called it anchorage in Mm -hmm. here the Mm -hmm. uh what's it called the Uh, marina the marina Yeah. yeah yeah because when we were little, that was the only place we were allowed to not wear shoes. Like you could go inside without <laughs> shoes on and yeah. it felt like the big, and you, I mean, it, it, that was one of my favorite parts as well, because you put in there buying ice cream from Anchorage. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, that is what we I did. I think there's a, still a sign on that door that says the whole no shirt, no shoes, no problem. Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. That's right. <laughs> that's right. And that was my whole childhood. So, but one of the things I'm, I was wondering when you were, when I've read the few that I've read. How many of your books, this is true with Long Way Gone, but I don't think it's true with When Crickets Cry, where it connects with a biblical story. Do you do that a lot? No, I think Long Way Gone is probably the most obviously blatant. Um, And I really hadn't had, like that one was birthed out of me spending time in Luke 15. I think it's Luke Luke 15. I think it's Lost Coin, Lost Sheep, Lost Son. I mean, I pray that all of them are redemptive. Somewhere, Matthew 4 or 5, Jesus says, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if he's in here, if I'm spending time with him, then the stories that bubble up ought to sound like him. Yeah. I mean, if they don't, y'all will pick up on it. What does your time with the Lord look like on your own? It varies. I, I don't want to paint some holier than thou. I mean, I don't... Oh, yeah, we ask this a lot because there's so many I different lo- people. I love the Word, and I will get up in it and spend time in, in the morning, although it's difficult for me to spend time in it without coffee. Mm-hmm. So, Fair. I mean, I think the Lord does that, too. I think that's why He <laughs> made the beans. One of my favorite teachers, Derek Prince, quoted Proverbs, it's life to those who find it and health to one's whole flesh. And he said, well, if that's true, 
I'm going to take it like medicine with my meals. And so a lot of oh, times wow. I'll eat I'll I'll eat the word or read the word you know after I eat or dinner or whatever. And I don't folks think in order to be a writer you have to be a great reader. And maybe that's true. Maybe I've missed the boat by not reading a thousand books. But I just I I love the word. So mm-hmm. I'll read it not only from the standpoint of teaching it, but like I just I love what he reveals to me. Yeah. How do you decide what to read every day? I don't know. Part of that comes from what I'm teaching or what I'm working on with my Bible study. But like right now, I've just sort of started over and um, I'll read. I try to read through it once a year, sometimes twice. Mm -hmm. And I fluctuate between starting with the prophets and going through all the prophets, major and minor, and then coming back and reading the narrative and then going through the New Testament. And I think this time I've just started at Genesis. Mm -hmm. I'll read the narrative. I'll stop somewhere about when the kings start and I'll read the prophets and I'll come back to the narrative. Okay. So are you teaching like at a church or leading a Bible study as well? Not just right. Like when you talk about reading to teach. Well, I've led a Bible study for 10 or 15 years with a bunch of guys that same 10 or 11 guys we've done life together for a long time, which is a lot of what, what if it's true was birthed out of. Mm -hmm. But like I, last weekend I was teaching in a church in Stewart, Florida, um, I'm teaching in a couple of weeks in a church in Jacksonville, and we've just returned from Israel, oh. where I was there with my church, and yeah. two of our pastors went, and then they asked me to be a third, like the third teacher. So I taught in um, Nazareth, Capernaum, Caesarea Philippi, Magdala, and twice in Jerusalem. Oh my gosh! So, what's your favorite spot there? Hmm. That's tough. You have to sort of set Jerusalem aside because it's right. in its own I agree with you. box. Yeah. And the place underground at Pilate's Praetorium where you're standing on those Herodian stones. I and haven't you been know there. It's below a convent. It's, um, it's Herodian. This, obviously, Herod placed the stones. It's right outside Pilate's headquarters. Uh-huh. And on the stones, scratched in the stone, is, is the residue of the game the soldiers would play when they would cast lots. Oh, wow. And a couple feet away is a hole in the stone that was carved out, and it's where they would put a post. And they uh, they put the post in there and wedged it in there, and then they would strap the prisoner to it to flog him. And you know by proximity, because of where his house is and where the where the soldiers' quarters were and where this game is played and where Caiaphas' house is, that's probably where they beat Jesus. Wow. I can't say it's my favorite place because it's a painful but standing there looking at those stones, knowing blood ran here for me, for you, mm-hmm. is... But then there's the whole Galilee, and I, I get up there and I think, you know, this is where he just walked with his friends and laughed, yeah. and yeah. they restored Peter, and, you know, I mean, just all that. Yeah. So We got to swim in the Sea of Galilee the first time I went. I've been twice. Everyone said how much it changes your Bible reading to actually go there. And I was kind of like, well, yeah, I mean, sure. But then when you're like, I know what the water feels like. Right. And I know what the bottom of the Sea of Galilee feels like when Peter was running up to Jesus on the beach. And it just changes everything. Standing in Capernaum on the beach with the Gadarenes behind you, Mm -hmm. the synagogue in front of you, Peter's mother-in-law's house directly kind of in front of you to the right, and knowing that Jesus stepped onto that beach after he healed and delivered the demoniac, and then Jairus kind of finds him somewhere in there, and then the woman with the issue of blood yeah. holds on probably within 50 to 60 square yards of where you are. 
That's awesome. It's awesome. I do love that. <laughs> Have you written a book set in Israel and I haven't read it? No, but okay. that one's probably coming. I, yeah. This past trip was my third one. And um, yeah, I may I actually said that to Christy about a week ago. We were somewhere and she's like, do you think you feel one bubbling up here? And I said, I think so. Yeah. yeah. I have no idea. Yeah. But yeah. It, but you've seen it. Yeah. So you can. Yeah. Yeah. What I love about Magdala is what you love about those other places where they go. We know Jesus stood here. Yeah. And that's yeah. Just and they, the crazy. guy, the, the, um, the conference center, the hotel, uh-huh. the, this conference, this, for those of you who don't know, there was a guy that wanted to put a hotel on this site. They dug down about five feet. They hit some stones. They had to call in the antiquities department. They yeah, which found is what you have to do in Israel. By you law. can't buy, you can't build. That's how right. they found, um, David, King David's, that's the correct. city of David, is they wanted right. to put a, um, Parking deck. That's exactly right. And, and when they started digging, they found the city of David. So this guy finds this mosaic of stone, and they unearth it, and it turns out to be a verified first century synagogue in Magdala. And we know from Scripture that it says Jesus taught in all the synagogues in Galilee. To get from Capernaum to Nazareth, you literally have to walk through Magdala. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I got to stand there uh, in that really on the edge of that Yeah, I was going to say, did they let you in the inside? Did you step no, inside? No, they kind of have it walled off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm standing like, I was like 10 get feet it, Charles, from it. Just get in there. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty amazing. Yeah. That's the kind of stuff I say to my friends all the time. Don't wait until you are a grandparent to go to Israel. Right. Well, by that time, you're closer to the New Jerusalem. <laughs> right, so, right. Yeah. I mean, I'll, and this time we got to take our oldest son, Charlie. He's okay. 21. And it was awesome getting to watch him encounter it. Yeah. Hey friends, just interrupting this conversation with Charles to tell you about my friends over at Prep Dish. Prep Dish is my new secret weapon for healthy, stress-free meals. Prep Dish is a meal planning service, and every week you get an email with a grocery list and prep ahead instructions, so all of your meals are ready for the week. No guesswork needed. You'll do all your chopping and mixing and all that stuff ahead of time, leaving you with zero decisions to be made at dinner. If you have a crazy schedule, hi, like me, this is such a time saver. It really gives you direction for like if you're doing some of that Sunday time, maybe you're listening to a podcast and you're using some of your time on Sunday to get some meals together, Prep Dish is your friend for that. You'll feel like a super mom or a super Annie or a super dude when you serve your amazingly delicious meals like smoky paprika chicken with a trio of roasted vegetables or turkey and zucchini lasagna that I love. The founder, our friend Allison, is offering you guys a two-week trial for free just to try it out. You can't beat that. Check out prepdish.com slash Annie for this amazing deal. Also, which I love, PrepDish has gluten-free, paleo, and keto options too. So again, that's prepdish.com slash Annie for your first two weeks free. Now back to the show. Okay, so let's talk about what if it's true. As I intentionally, no one would ever believe that I'm ever strategic about this show based on how things come out. But we really intentionally wanted you on today as as we're taking next week off to observe Holy Week and as it leads up to Easter and your first ever nonfiction, correct? Yeah. Uh, Called What If It's True is literally you went through and told Bible stories again. You yeah. all, you put uh, what I said to a friend when I told I've read it and what I said to a friend is it's like you put flesh all over the bones that we've known mm. for so long. That's cool. What made you do this? Well, a couple of things. I think I was finishing Long Way Gone and sitting in my in my chair in my office and uh, I, I remember pausing and thinking 
I have all these kind of stories in my computer and, and things that I've taught. And I mean, this comes out of my love of the word, my teaching, my, my just hang, you know, doing life with these guys. And I was like, Lord, I would love to, I mean, these things are just sitting in my computer yeah. and it's not about me, but I'd love to take these things and put them in some form where you could do something with them. If yeah. that's okay with you. I mean, if it's your yeah. will, Will you work this out? So Chris and I, my agent, put some stuff together and shipped it out to people, and nobody bit. Not, not. A, and I thought, okay, well, it's not time. Yeah. So I got about halfway through my next book, and I really felt this urge again, and I almost felt like the Lord said, Charles, no more novels till you do this. Oh wow! And I was like, okay. So I, I called Chris and I said, I really want to do this. And then I was driving to Colorado. We stopped into Nashville. I met with Daisy, my publisher, and I told her, I'd really like to do this. And the hinge of this book. Is, or I think it's chapters six and seven on the crucifixion and the resurrection. Yeah. So I love Paul's admonition in, in Galatians. Like most of his letters, he starts off thanking God for the people he's writing to. Galatians, he skips that. He's so uh-huh. frustrated with them. And he yeah. tells them in, like, I think, chapter three, he says, Foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was personally portrayed as crucified? And so I wanted in this book for the centerpiece or the hinge to be... Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so I sat with Daisy and told her, and by the end of lunch, somewhere here in Nashville, she had a vision for it. So that's what you're now holding in your hand. Okay. How did you decide which Bible stories of Jesus as you went? Was it the ones that you had energy toward, or was it the ones that you had taught all of these before? I think it comes out of what we experienced as a group of men over 12 to 15 years, everything from Looking at, I start then there with the woman with, well, I start with Joseph and Mary coming into Bethlehem, yeah. and I tell that story through the innkeeper's eyes. And they're just kids, you know? And then yeah. I jump from there to the woman with the issue of blood and her exasperation and her desperation. Mm-hmm. And she also it says she was a daughter of Abraham, so she knew the prophecies. She knew that the Son of Righteousness had come with healing in his wings. Mm-hmm. And I love her gumption. And I say this in the book, when I get to heaven, I'm going to find this lady and hug her neck because, yeah. I mean, she didn't let tell, people tell her no. I mean, she's, yeah. a cat, she's totally cast out of society. She's totally shamed, and yet she reaches out and grabs a hold. Same thing with Bartimaeus, the blind beggar at the gate in Jericho. Everybody's telling him to shush, and he's screaming louder, son of, mercy, son of David, have mercy on me. It's a messianic claim. So I just love the fact that he threw off his cloak and ran to Jesus and... Jesus heals. I mean, that, it's just the, the things that the Lord impressed upon me. Jesus with the woman at the well and the and five husbands and, and sexual sin. And I mean, that's an issue. Like, as, as I've walked with men, it's a big issue for all of us. Sure. So that chapter and the prayer at the end of it has been, I've seen the Lord do crazy things and bring men to freedom. And they've been in chains and bondage and shame for a long time. And the Lord's used that prayer powerfully. Mm -hmm. So my hope in writing it was it's for freedom that he came to set us free. Lord, how do you want to use these stories to bring your children to freedom? Yeah. And I, I mean, the, the two probably closest to me are the story on the crucifixion, because I've never heard it told that way, marrying the old and the new and showing how the old Testament reveals Jesus and Jesus manifests that revelation in himself. And I love the way it's I love the way we get to hear his emotions through Psalm 22 and Psalm yeah. 69, and we know what he's thinking. Yeah. It was birthed somewhere out of all that. Yeah. So for our friends who are listening, maybe this is their first 
time they've really thought about, they've really celebrated Lent or they've thought about Holy Week next week, or they are learning about Jesus. Can you tell us a little bit about what Holy Week is about? I mean, well, can you be a Bible teacher all of a sudden, no, Charles Martin? Well, it, you're asking me to go back a little bit to my roots because okay. Holy Week sort of denotes more of a a history with a church that follows it or follows the calendar. And uh-huh. I grew up in like a wildly charismatic church. Oh, yeah. Later went to an Anglican church okay. where I saw the beauty of the word married in liturgy. Yeah. So we did I make mean, the whole going to school with the charcoal on our head and Lent. Yeah. And as I have sort of come to love the word, I think what people are doing in a, in a reverence for and a recognition of Holy Week it's just like pushing pause and saying, I want to make myself, I want to humble myself and bring myself to a place of seeing this again for the first time mm. and walking back through. I mean, Jesus leaves Bartimaeus at the gate in Jericho, walks uphill 20 miles into Jerusalem, which sits at about 2,500 feet, walks into town. People are screaming, wanting to make him a king, throwing their clothes on the floor. Uh, even the rocks cried out. And a week later, he's hanging dead and lifeless with his eyes still open on a cross. And he knew the whole time. And he knew the whole time. <laughs> I mean, that's the payment for you and me. And and I, so the this idea of Holy Week is a process of me kind of entering back into that, spending time with him, walking through that again, and not staying at the cross, walking past it to the empty tomb, mm. And knowing that it is still empty. I know, I checked. I was there just two weeks ago. Yeah, I was about to say, do you, do you think the whole thing happened inside that chapel, or do you, th- do you like the garden tomb better? I like the garden tomb better. Me too. For lots of reasons. But, yeah. You have real but, reasons? I just have it feels better reasons. I don't know. I'm not, that no- I'm not enough of a scholar, but to me, it's outside of town, like where they burn the trash. Yeah. When they've excava- excavated the area around it, it, that tomb is in what was once a vineyard probably owned by a wealthy man. Yeah. And in the middle of that is a place where they actually crush the grapes. Yeah. I love that. Plus it was I not think. excavated until like 1860 or I don't know, it's only about 150 or so years. Yep. Uh, so I love that we see Jesus go from the Garden of Gethsemane where they crush the olives to the tomb where they crush the grapes and the yeah. oil not the oil is poured out in one place and the wine is poured out in another. That to me makes sense. Yeah. But I can't I can't prove it. And it feels great too. I mean, it as is. great, it just feels so beautiful. It's yeah. such a yeah, such a. It's maybe one of the most sacred places on the planet to me. Whether lo- that's exactly where it happened or not. No, I love. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Um, and yeah, interestingly, going. go I on the wall uh, on the stone wall just outside the tomb where they would have rolled the bigger stone into uh-huh. place. They found a, um, a like it says they sealed the the tomb. Right. Well, Roman soldiers did that with a spike. And they oh. drove it into the stone, and they have found residue of a first-century spike in the Come wall, on. and you can see it. Oh, that wasn't there when I was there. No, it's there now. Is it right beside? Either somebody put it there recently, yeah, no, 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 or it's just, been there or a long time. Or our people didn't tell us. I mean, right. uh, yeah. but it's right by the little door. Yeah, if you are looking at the door, and you can imagine the stone having been rolled in front of it, the spike would have been kind of at about ten thirty. Okay, blocking the stone from rolling back. Sure. Yeah. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, I'm gonna have to look for real next time. Our okay. tour guide did not tell us that. Yeah, that was disappointing. I'm gonna have to lead the tour <laughs> next time. Um, Pastor us again a little bit about Good Friday. 
Because I'm an Enneagram 7, and I just am like, Easter. I'm like, let's go to Easter. <laughs> but I need someone whole, to remind you, us how much The folks in my church matters. are crazy about this whole Enneagram thing. And I, I know, am sorry. so, I don't know squat about it. <laughs> I am so sorry, but I just don't. <laughs> good Friday is only good because of what's coming. Mm. Jesus is arrested, falsely accused. He's betrayed by one of his closest friends. It's amazing when you think about the created betraying the creator with a kiss. Yeah. He's marched to Caiaphas' house where they pluck out his beard and punch him. I mean, can you just even imagine? You have a beard. Can you imagine someone plucking it out? No. Hair by hair. That no. is, yeah. Uh, they, um, he probably spends the night at Caiaphas' house. They mock him. They march him early in the morning, probably about 5.30 or so, down a road along the western wall of the temple, I think, up to Pilate's, and he's tried a mock trial. Um, the, he's flogged with a Roman scourge, which is not like an Indiana Jones whip. It's more multi-tasseled, and in the ends of the tassels are, are glass and nails and anything that would embed into the skin. So when they flogged him 39 times, it didn't just tear or whip the skin, it embedded into it. So when they pulled it off, it would peel away chunks of flesh. So by the time Jesus stands up to carry the crossbar, he's been shredded. Yeah. When Isaiah says and prophesies 780 years prior that and I think it's Isaiah 52 or 3, that he was unrecognizable as a man. It's because they had ripped his face off and his shoulders and his back. Oh, he stands up. They say, carry this out there where they burn the trash, and he can't. He's stumbling, and they point to a man, Simon of Cyrene, which is North Africa. They say, you carry this because it's going to take all day, and they're ready to get on with it. And Simon... And they're trying to do it before sundown, right? right? Yeah. Simon shoulders this thing. Simon's from North Africa, probably very much a black man. Uh, I think it's a beautiful thing that possibly the last person to touch Jesus in tenderness was a black man. Yeah. He, he shoulders the crossbar. Maybe he lifts Jesus, and the two walk to Calvary. Uh, it would have been on a well-traveled road, probably not high on a hill. It would have been where everybody passed by, and the cross wouldn't have been really high. His Jesus' feet was probably only were probably only two feet off the ground. Oh wow! Because they wanted passers-by to, they wanted it to be a deterrent. Oh, okay. So you walk by and you see this man. So when he cries out, people hear him crying. It also says the woman he's not way high above them and far no, away. Yeah. It says the woman who tra- the women who traveled with him stood at a distance. That's because he was naked completely. Oh, yeah, they shamed him. And then the very last thing he suffers is rejection by the Father. He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you rejected me? And I hate that for him. I love that for us because I think the deepest wound of the human soul is rejection. Sure. So when he bears that, he bears that for us. Nobody knew rejection deeper than him. So all of us, whether adopted or scorned by people that love us or sitting in a prison cell or whatever, because he did that, this is the week where we get to walk up and sort of walk before him on our knees and, and just sort of open our heart and say, look, here's my wound of rejection. I don't want it anymore. It's killing me. I want your acceptance. So I take it. Yeah. Yeah. There it is. And then Sunday. Then Sunday. I love that. Yeah. I just, I think it's beautiful too that, I mean, he, he comes back 
And the first person he meets is this beautiful lady who's heartbroken. And I think it says a lot that he didn't go to his friends first. He went to Mary Magdalene because he knew she was brokenhearted. And he wanted, I I just feel like, I think when he left here, he went down and he preached to the souls in prison. And I can't prove that, but I do think he went and got the keys of death and Hades out of Satan's hand. And I really want to see the continuation of that story. But anyway, it's coming. Yeah. And then he meets Mary and he says, don't touch me. I haven't been to my father yet and your father. I think it's beautiful that he saw her first. Yeah. I love that she couldn't recognize him either. Yeah. I think that's so important in our stories to to realize that when we're asking for resurrection, we're not going to get back what we recognized when it was alive. Ooh, that's good. It's going to be like something that. different. I'm you know? stealing that. That's yeah, good. you can have it. Yeah. I just if the it has been helpful for me because if I want something to resurrect, the Lord has really got come toward me with a, do you want a resurrection or are you asking me for that same thing again? Because that's, that's two good. different things. Yeah, that'll preach. Right? <laughs> well, it has cha- changed my life too because when I say, God, I wish that thing that feels dead would come back to life, yeah. then you go, oh, it will. It just won't look. Even Jesus didn't look like Jesus yeah. when he came back to life. Enough that she didn't know he wasn't a gardener. Yeah. Right? I love that. My hope is that people will get what if it's true today and kind of spend next week reading through it just in in quiet as we go quiet here on the show hmm. as I go quiet in life as it just feels like a I, I'm with you that I'm like 70% charismatic and 30% old <laughs> old school church grew up Methodist but yeah. have been more charismatic yeah. as, as I've gotten older but uh that 30% of me is real alive hmm. of following the church calendar yeah. and and thinking yeah. there's something for look there's a lot that. of beauty in it I, yeah. I'm, I'm I don't want to sound like I'm knocking it at all. I'm not. I, there's beauty in it, and there's wonder, and there's purposeful reflection in it, and I, I love that. If they get it, I would. I mean, you don't have to start at chapter one. I would tell them to go to, what's that you're carrying? I think it's chapter six, where yeah, it's you're talking you. about the crucifixion. You want them to start there? Well, only because okay. it's this week, and and it it basically asks the question: If you want to call yourself a Christian, you want to hang that thing around your neck. Jesus says, deny yourself and pick up my cross and follow me. But in order to do that, I have found that more often than not, we have to lay down our Isaacs in order to pick up our cross. Mm. That's what that chapter is about. Yeah, it is. It messed with me. I taught <laughs> um, Luke 15 here at Crosspoint. I taught the lost son and the older brother and the father. Mm-hmm. The story, I now call it the two lost sons. Yeah. I, I don't think, I don't like how it's only one lost son. But I read your chapter before mm. I taught it, and I read Prodigal God by Tim Keller. Y'all are like my two resources mm. going into teaching that. I so just got put you. in the same, I didn't. I don't know, you didn't put me you in did. the same you category. Did. Yes, but I you did. just mentioned me in the same sentence with Tim Keller. That Wow. Okay. And I meant it. I read yours first, and then mm. I read Prodigal God. But as soon as I, yeah, this came to me. Yeah, but he's brilliant. I mean, <laughs> that joker. Okay, but Charles Martin, listen, you are not not brilliant, sir. You've got no. 14 worlds you've built in your mind. That's true. And you, um, you talk about Jesus like you know him. And so... I spend time with him. I do love him dearly. Um, I'm coming to know him more. I mean, like, you know, I think I know him, and then he reveals something else to me. And Isn't that true in all your relationships, though? Yeah, and maybe none more so than than I was reading the other day in Genesis, and he's talking about Abimelech, and you know, Abram gives Sarah that says he lies and says she's his sister, and all that. Abimelech takes her and finally figures it out, and he has this dream with and talks to the Lord, and the Lord says an astounding thing to Abimelech. He says, "I kept you from sinning against me, so yeah. that you did not touch her." Yeah. And I looked at that and I was like, "Lord." Help a brother out. Yeah. Where has that been my whole life? 
right. So this that sort of thing. That's you know. right. I'm listening every morning to the almost every morning to the Bible in chronological mm. order. I mm. listen to it while I get ready. And it has I've had moments like that where I like stop it and I go, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> I have been reading this thing for 30 years of my life, of my mm. 38 years. I have never heard that before. Right. Which is one of the I mean, I think that's the beauty of don't read it once and put it away. Keep circling back to the same stories, keep circling back to the Bible every year and don't give up on it because there's something new every time. I used to wonder about the heavenly host sitting around his throne and they're all, you know, they're just saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, like repeatedly. And I thought, how boring is that? And then I figured out the reason they're saying that is because he's blowing their mind with a new revelation of who he is every second. It's like a diamond with 10 trillion facets. Right. I mean, they're saying it out of authentic, like mind blowingness, if that's a phrase. Yeah, it is today. You can do that. Anyway. When we get to heaven, what's your job going to be? When we get to heaven, what's... You mean this is assuming I get past judgment and <laughs> past the king of kings okay, okay. and I get assuming, off my face. <laughs> assuming the blood of Jesus has Cleanses washed me away from your all sin. Unrighteousness, yes. um, and, I, and assuming we have work. I'm, no one can be totally sure, but a lot of the reading and thing I've done, there's a lot of talk about... Look, I, I, I don't know be. what my job will be. Here's what I hope that interaction looks like. And I've said this before, and Christy's kind of rolled her eyes at me. She's like, honey, I don't know if people understand what you're saying when you say it, but I've prayed this, and I mean it. I mean, it's like a, Lord, I'm, I'm really serious about this. I pray that when I get past and I hear, a, you know, well done, yeah, that he takes me by the hand and walks me into his personal library. I'm not talking about the Library of Congress type, type sure. deal where all of our books are, but I'm talking about like his own whatever that looks like. And okay. he shows me his reading table. And I pray that my books are on his reading table with dog-eared pages and underlines. And he says, look what I've been reading to my angels. I don't say that in some arrogant, but I mean that. I pray that what he births out of me, you know, is like a sweet aroma, you know, gathered in bowls around his throne. And yeah. I, I pray that. I mean, like, why not? Like, why not? Why? Why isn't that true for all of us? What I have a gift. I, I want it to please him. I mean, he sings over us. Do, I mean, I want to. I want to delight him. I want to bring laughter to my king. I. My kids do that for me. Yeah. That emotion comes from some. I didn't create that emotion. That he. That's like him translated down into me. So yeah. why isn't it okay for me to hope that with him? I think he does. Yeah. Jenna, will you bring me a tissue? <laughs> that gets me, Charles Moore. Gosh, will you bring me a tissue? The idea of the Lord reading my books, I've never one time thought about that. Look, the, the biggest revelation I've had about his word lately is that the, the, thing, the thing Jesus reveals to us, and he beats us over the head with this 165 times in the New Testament, he calls God his Father. Prior right. to Jesus, no Jewish rabbi had ever done that. The prophets had said that he would. The psalmist had said there will be one who says this. Yeah. Jesus is the first rabbi ever to call him Father. The reason is because in Leviticus it says they'll stone you if you do. Right. But he's come from his father. And he tells us, you should call him father. Mm-hmm. That's a totally new revelation to me yeah. that the invitation is that intimate. Actually, when I was, do I have two more minutes? Oh my gosh, you've got, yes. They're all on their treadmills. They're in their kitchens. They're so happy to be here. When my boys were young, um, we have three boys, and Charlie uh, was our first, and I started this with him. And there were nights when he would cry and scream, and Christy couldn't get him to you know, go to sleep. So in frustration, she would hand him to me <laughs> at 3 a.m. And I would um, I would 
take his shirt off and I'd take my shirt off and I'd go to the couch and I'd lay down and kind of prop my head up and he would curl up into this fetal ball on my chest and and breathe and he would always turn his nose into my neck Uh and he would smell me and he would go to sleep and Christy would look at me and she's like what what is the deal like (laughs) I have the stuff you know and, and I can't do that right now with him and one of the cool things I discovered in recently in looking up the meanings of the word Abba when Jesus says it, because it's actually a transliteration, and uh-huh. we don't have a correct translation. Right. One of the meanings in the Hebrew language for Abba is, I long for your scent. Oh, wow. And I love that. Yeah. So I think our Father wants us to like know what he smells like and what he... What he sounds like. And yeah. anyway, I pray that, I don't know what my job will be in heaven, but yeah. I, I pray that my books please him. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be real interested to see if we get to work up there, but I've always wondered up there. It won't even be up there, blah, 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 blah. Wherever uh, it is. Wherever it is. Yeah. What will storytellers do? Yeah. What will we do? I don't know. My finite brain kind of goes squirrely <laughs> with that. But I like your answer. Whatever it is, it'll be better than here. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I'll be out of my own way, at least. (laughs) At least it'll be a better experience. Uh, My spirit won't have to go through my soul. Yeah. It'll be like my spirit will live. Direct. Yeah. 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 Both of my grandmothers passed away before I wrote any books. Oh. And so I've always hoped that that what I always say the Lord is like, let their shelves be full too. Yeah. That they've gotten to see them on. I love heaven. that. Yeah. And I also am a big believer that my books already exist and I'm just supposed to find them. I think that's huge. And I think that wannabe writers, it took me a while to latch on to this, but I really do believe I'm I'm just listening to the Lord and trying to write the stories he's already uh-huh. written. I said this to John T with my middle son with What If It's True. My publisher came to me months ago and said, hey, we know John T's here in school. Do you think he'd write a theme song for the book? Yeah. And I said, well, I'll ask him. They said, well, yeah. if he does, we'll put him on Music Row and record it. And I said, okay. yeah, I think he's going to Yeah, you're that. like, that's a yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I called him and told him he was real excited. And he, a day later, came back with a song. And it was a, a good song. A day later? Yeah. I mean, okay, John T. Yeah, we see you with yeah. your speedy writing. Golly. So, so he comes back, and it was a good song, but it wasn't the song. And okay. I told him, I said, all right, dude, that's good, but that's not it. He kind of got his feathers ruffled. Sure. Came back a couple days later, and I had another one, and it was even further. This is okay, but it wasn't it. And I told him, and he really didn't like me a whole lot. (laughs) He's like, Dad, you know, I mean, I know he's thinking, who are you to like correct Uh my art? You don't know anything about music. And I said, I told him, I said, John T, here's the deal. I wrote this book in obedience. It's it's my offering to the Lord. If you're supposed to write a song to go with it, the Lord has already already written and sung it. Just go find it and write it down. Yeah. About eight hours later, he sent me a file yeah. that he'd recorded in his dorm room. And the moment I heard the first guitar lick, I was really? like, oh, that's it. Really? And then I sent it to Daisy and Denise and Christy at the, my publishing house, and they were like, yeah, we're recording this. So literally when you go on iTunes, you see yeah. What If It's True, John T. wrote that for this book. Oh, that's brilliant. We'll link to that so everybody can get to it real easy. Mm. That's under, and in finding it, that's the trick. Do you still do you feel that with your novels too that you just have to find the story? 
Yeah, I, I do. Um, like I've spent time in grad school. I have a couple yeah. of graduate degrees. I used to have really highfalutin, intellectually sounding, polished answers for that. And the more I write, the more I just sort of sweat them out. Mm. I mean, really, it's just like, it's, it's just sweat. Yeah. I don't know how else to do it. Yeah. I believe you. I've read it. It feels like it feels like you do that kind of work to get them out. <laughs> I'm real grateful. Okay, so I want our friends to start with What If It's True next week. To you, which novel should they start with? Because um, there's 14. We've only talked about like four of them. There's well, so there many. Well, will, there will be 14. Oh, yeah, sorry. As of 13. next April, this coming April when I turn it in. Um, my most recent is called Send Down the Rain, and he is probably... There's an argument to be made that he, he, he's the most Christ-like figure I've ever written, although... If you go back to number two with Wrapped in Rain and you see Mama Ella, there's a pretty strong argument that she might be. But anyway. And you know all of them that well. You remember all of them. I remember who they are and what they do and what they sound like. All of their names run together. Okay. Because I'm I'm at like 100 plus names. Yeah, serious. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. My gosh. I don't don't know how. Like, how does Clive Cussler do it? Seriously. Grisham. How do they they talk about their stories? I don't know. Uh, They all run together. Yeah. So I'd start with the most recent, which is Send Down the Rain, and then just work your way back. If that's... Okay, work your way backwards. Start at 13 and work your way to one. Or if you really... We got to get Long Way Gone read before the movie comes out. Yeah. That's the goal. So yeah. that so that one is a is a high priority too. Okay. Just before... You're love, like, fine, I Annie. That. I, I don't that. care. That's fine with me. <laughs> I love that. So you'll turn in number 14 this April. Yeah. It'll come out... Four weeks. It'll come out about this time next year. Okay. Will you come back and talk to us sure, about it? Sure, love to. Okay. Yeah. This hadn't been too painful, yeah? No. I only cried really once, but it's only when you talked about Jesus and being in heaven. Well. So those are pretty sensible things to cry about. I didn't sure. like weep about your books like I did when I read them by myself. Well, I think, I don't, can't remember if I said this on air or with you prior to us turning this on, but even last night, I'm standing in a Barnes & Noble and the lady in the front row is asking me about my books and she's like, you know, I cried. She was talking about uh, Where the River Ends, my sixth novel. And um, she said, did you, you made me cry. Did you cry? Like, do you ever cry? And I was like, lady, I cried my face off when I wrote that book. Yeah. Same with Long Way Gone. When you read what happened and you read the end and you like, I did. I, I cried so hard. I had, to stop, I had to stop typing. I couldn't see the screen. Yeah. So, if I don't, if I don't experience it or feel it, then how in the world are you? Every time, if I cry when I write, they cry when they read. Hmm. It is almost always true. And I, I I don't make myself cry, but if I'm sitting right. there crying while I'm writing, I'm going, oh, I bet this will be. And so I make a little mental note. Chapter 11, I cried a lot. And, <laughs> and sure enough, people go, I just cried my way through chapter 11. I'm like, yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. That makes two of us. So and, and there's a dream in my heart to write a novel someday. Okay. What do I need to know? What's one thing I need to know before I really... I mean, the the real truth is I kind of have it outlined and it's in my heart. It's like... You want me to be tender or speak truthful? Yes. Quit dreaming and start writing. Okay. I've had so many people... And I'm not telling you to not be a dreamer, but I, I cannot tell you the number of people that come up to same, me. Same, same. And they talk about, you know, I, w- I want to write and I think I'm supposed to be a writer. Well, do you write? Well, no, but I... <laughs> okay. Right. All right. Well, turn off... YouTube and turn come off Netflix on, and put airplane mode on your phone and go right. Go right. I mean, Grisham wrote A Time to Kill while working as an attorney in Memphis. And he would show up an hour early to work right on a yellow pad, 
and just wrote a story. And a year later, he gave it to his assistant, which I think is a beautiful thing. One of these days, I'm going to get one. <laughs> you don't have an assistant? You do everything by yourself? Yeah. Lord have mercy. I have more people on the show who do not have any help that I'm just like, get you some help. <laughs> Christy would agree with you. Yeah. But he wrote it. And then a year later, we have what still may be, along with the Testament, one of his favorite, one of, one yes. of my favorite books of his. Okay. So writing is not rocket science. It's, are you willing to put in the time in your on your seat yeah. to wrestle it out? And people yeah. say, well, I don't write well and I don't like how it sounds. Well, then rewrite it. Yes. Just get it out one time. You know? Yeah. So there's not some giant secret. Now, are there people who are maybe more inclined to write, you know, more quickly than others or maybe more clearly from the beginning? Sure. And we all have different levels of gifting, but... I used to be so intimidated walking in Barnes and Noble. I used to not walk in there because really? you'd walk in, you'd see all these huge, ginormous eight foot faces on the wall. Right. And, you know, everybody from Steinbeck to Hemingway to whomever. And you think to yourself, well, in order to make it here, I got to be them. Mm. Well, they weren't them when they started writing. That's right. So getting over that probably helps. Okay. My thing when I go into bookstores is I go, look at all these people who finished. Go home and finish. <laughs> yeah. All these people finished a book. Quit putting it off. So when I get to the end of a book where I'm like, I'm so sick of this, and there's like two chapters to go, right. I go to our local bookstore here, Parnassus, and I do a, do a tour around, and I go, Annie, all these, all these, all people, these finished. people finished. Yeah. You can go home and finish. I used to meet with writers that want, want you know, I met with a bunch of them thinking it was something I needed to do, but I cannot tell you the number of times I would meet with someone and help them and outline them, and then they would never they finish never it. Of it. all of the hundred that I've met with, okay, maybe 70 to 100, two, have two written. people have finished. Yeah. So there's something there. Well, I'm looking you in the eye and I'm telling you, I'm going to finish it. I've, I've <laughs> got right. a novel in All me right. and it's weird. So you can, okay. someday you can, when you're back in a year, All right. you can ask me about it because I'm going to finish it. I will. Because, and I imagine there going to be a bunch of people on social media asking you about it too. Um, yeah, maybe. Yeah. That's part of the problem. Yeah. Because um, you just totally spoke it out there. <laughs> well, the thing is, it's it feels like a story that the Lord keeps kind of coming back to me and going... I want to take a Bible story and and write it modern day. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the Lord keeps going, give her a name. Give her a name. Nobody knows mm. her name. Give her a name. That's good. And so so I, I can't let that go. I think what happens in us as artists is that the enemy gets in our brain and he starts living rent-free and he starts whispering questions like, well, what if nobody likes it? Mm -hmm. And what if it's no good? And you know, all of the what ifs. It's all the Genesis 1 through 3, did God say lie right, crap, okay? Right. And sooner or later, we as artists, whether somebody publishes us or not, really have to realize that he gave me my gift for his purposes. Mm. I'm writing for an audience of one. Mm. I don't say that to be arrogant or ugly, and I hope a whole, a whole bunch of people buy my books, and I hope it blesses them, and I mean that. I really do. But... If it doesn't please him, then why do it? But when we just live in the expression of our gifting, it does, I believe. Yeah. You know? I think you're right. I mean, that's the reason we're here, that we are made to worship him. Our gifts, the the expression of me living in my gift does that. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm talking to John T. about this all the time yeah. because he's here and it's a, you know, he's a small minnow in a huge pond. And, you know, everybody here is crazy talented. And I'm like, look, dude, I don't know what the Lord's going to do with you musically. No idea. 
I do know he's giving you a gift. Mm-hmm. And all that matters is you just follow him, listen to him, be obedient, and then play your drum for the king yeah. or your guitar. I mean, yeah. like, just let him open up what doors he's going to open, but don't get all axle wrapped about trying to do it the way that person does on that podcast or the way that person does on that album cover mm-hmm. or the way that person does on that billboard. You just, there's only one John T. There's only one Charles Martin. There's only one Annie Downs. So you just be you mm-hmm. and lift up a shout and see what he does. That's good. I will. You know, we will. Okay. Well, Charles, thank you for being on here today. Thanks for letting me stalk you on the internet until you showed up in the office. I'm very grateful. I still think you need to hold a class on social media. I mean, really, you need to send me texts and tell me how to do this because okay. you're so good at it. Oh, and listen, I'm, so, I'm here to help. I'm so horribly bad. You are. See, we're all going to... Storied career. Why yeah. is it not your name? Is there already a Charles Martin? I don't know. I just liked storied career. I like it too. I mean... I like, again, I, I don't know, and I don't really... <laughs> you don't care. No. That's the thing. You don't I, care, but... I don't. I don't. And Christy's <laughs> telling me, like, honey, you need to. And I'm like... No, we can all find you a storied career. You're okay. fine. Right. We've got you. We know okay. where you are now. All right. Just get ready, because the people, they're okay. coming. All they're right. going to come. Good. So we have one last question that we always ask. Because right. the show is called That Sounds Fun, what do you do for fun? A couple of things. It kind of depends. I, I've always kind of worked out. You can't maybe tell that. Yeah. looking at me, you know, but I used to, so that's sort of like yeah. therapy, whether it's, you know, cycling or running or doing some yeah. sort of CrossFit. I, I love that. That to me is, that to me is fun. Christy mm-hmm. doesn't, Christy doesn't understand how that's fun. Yeah. But to me, it really is. Yeah. Um, I love our boys. They're, they're of the age now where they're growing out of the boys that they've been into the men that they are and are becoming. And so our friendship is 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 changing in a cool way, and we like I have, I have a boat now, so we'll get on the boat and go up and down the intercoastal or fish, or you know we'll we have a hunt and lease, and we'll go call turkeys or yeah. whatever, and camp on the river. Or um, Christy and I love uh, we live about six miles from the beach. Okay. Um, in Florida. Yeah, in Florida, okay. and. Um, we love going and walking on the beach. It's it's probably some of the best time for the two of us because the world doesn't seem to follow us to the beach. Mm. You know, we'll find shark's teeth and walk an hour and a half, and we love that. About a year ago, um, for the I hate to say for this book I'm working on, yeah. one of the female and the female and my female lead is a dance instructor, and okay. I am I'm horrible. I mean, like. I am so horrible at dancing. And, and, and I, every time we go somewhere, wedding or whatever, Christy looks at me like, really, is that all you got? <laughs> I, so I found a place in Jacksonville and emailed him. I said, look, I'm horrible. Can you teach me and my wife, me how uh-huh. to lead my wife? So we started dance lessons. Oh my gosh. And I'm still horrible, but we have <laughs> fun. And Ashley, our dance instructor, is she tries not to make fun of me, but she's fantastic. And yeah. so we do that. And um, I love that. In the summer, Colorado holds a, a real tender place. Like if my ship ever comes in and I can uh-huh. like go buy a farm, it'll be somewhere in the collegiate range okay. in Colorado. Okay. I mean, just hands down. Just because it's so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I love the Wild West. I love stories of the Wild West. So anything out there is fun to me. I watch all those movies, shows. Thunder and Rain. Yeah, right. I mean, no, no, no. That's my book. That's my sixth, seventh book. I wrote a book called Thunder oh, Rain. I didn't know it's that. about a Texas Ranger. Oh, I was like, yeah, Thunder Rain. Yes, I'll try. No. Oh, it's about a Texas Ranger. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm ordering that puppy today. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, I read all those. I watch all those. So I love Colorado out there, oh, too. It's a fun story. I'm going this summer to Lost Valley Ranch. Do you know Lost Valley Ranch? I've heard of that. Yeah, you should look it up. It's okay. like a dude ranch. Okay. Um, Thunder and Rain, number mm. seven. I'm not kidding that I'm ordering it today. Okay. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much. It's really kind of you to make space for a, a fan. Grateful so, to you. I'm thankful. I just cried during that one. And uh, so special and so sweet. And I'm so thankful. So thank you so much to Charles Martin for making time and space to come talk to us. It just felt really like such an honor. So thank you, Charles. If you would like to follow him on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the places on Instagram and Twitter, he is storied career. So you can find him there. Tell him thanks for being on the show and how much it meant to you and make sure you grab a copy of what if it's true. I think it'd be a perfect companion for next week, but also his novels. You guys, I am just blazing through them. I am blazing through them. I cannot be stopped. I'm having the best time. So you just grab whichever ones you want to read first, whichever ones we talked about, or just look through at your favorite bookstore, at Amazon, online, at Barnes & Noble, wherever you want to go, look through and find the one that you connect with most, and then you'll be addicted and you'll be reading like crazy like me. So thanks again, Charles. I'm grateful for you, and I appreciate um, you making time for us. Hey, friends, if there's anything I can do for you, you know I'm embarrassingly easy to find. Annie F. Downs, F today is fan, because I am a fan of Charles Martin. Annie F. Downs, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the places. Anywhere you need to find me, that's how you can find me. And if you get a chance to share the show with your friends, that would really mean a lot. I think this is a great one going into next week for people to get to hear. And just a reminder again, we will not have shows next week. Next Monday and Thursday, we are going to be quiet around here and honor and respect and to observe Holy Week. So I wish you well next week as we walk toward the greatest weekend, just the greatest weekend, the weekend that changed everything for us. So I wish you guys a very happy Easter. Uh, may you experience Good Friday in such a way that you are changed. And may you experience Easter in such a way that you are changed. Go out and do something that sounds fun to you. And we will see you back here, not Monday, not Thursday, but Monday, April 22nd. You guys have a great Holy Week and I'll see you soon.